MacCast, Sunday, December 19th, 2021. Hey, Mac Geeks, it's time for your MacCast, the show for Mac Geeks by Mac Geeks. I'm Adam, and this is the show where we discuss all things Macintosh. How you doing? Welcome back to the MacCast. Well, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, Festivus. Uh, I, that's all the ones I know. <laughs> Hopefully we got everybody in there, whatever you might celebrate. Yeah, we are uh, days away now from uh, at least Christmas, December 25th, and well into the holiday season, so... Hopefully you are all having a happy, safe, and uh, good holiday season, spending time maybe with friends and family, getting together, just enjoying the season, the weather change, all of that sort of fun stuff. Uh, I'm back here with you for another episode of the Mac Cast. We're going to get into all things Apple, news, tips, tricks, information, all that fun stuff. And I'm looking over the show notes. We have uh, some pretty good things to talk about. A little bit light here at the end of the year, but that's kind of good. Gives us maybe a little bit more time to spend with our families. Maybe for traveling, though, uh, this podcast helps you get through the holiday season. I know I get emails about that uh, from a lot of folks, and I really appreciate that. So uh, we'll have some fun. We'll sit back. We'll talk about some Apple Mac stuff and just kind of geek out uh, for an hour here. So, like I said, we have a few things to talk about. Uh, We're going to be getting into some OS updates that came out this past week. We're going to talk about uh, potentials for a new iMac coming this spring. Uh, We're going to get into some Apple TV Plus news. There's actually quite a few shows uh, coming, still coming from Apple TV Plus. And then we'll talk a little bit about uh, what maybe is going to happen with the next iPhone 14, next upgrade to the iPhone. And then we have some great feedback from our community. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit more about backup, although a different kind of backup, something that I want to get into that we didn't touch on the last few times we talked about this, and it was brought up uh, from a comment, a great comment from a listener. So a good reminder that there's different uh, kind of aspects and concepts around backup. And then we'll follow up on our discussion on AR, VR headsets. I have a great comment from a listener that I want to share with you, and we'll talk about that. And then we will round things out with a few things of the moment. I actually have two for you, a little bonus one in this episode of the MacCast. So it should be a lot of fun. Let's just dive right into things, starting off with a bunch of OS updates that came out this week. iOS 15.2, iPad OS 15.2, watchOS 8.3, tvOS 15.2, HomePod 15.2, all the 15.2s, I guess, and then uh, an update to macOS Monterey, the first big update, 12.1, or point release, I guess, really call it a big update, but it's a it's a bigger update for uh, macOS Monterey. Now, on the iOS side of things, the update brings a lot of the same stuff across the board. Uh, not a lot of new features, as you might imagine, but some new functionality, uh, I guess. And I guess that's a feature technically, right? So app privacy report, uh, that was something that Apple showed off. That is now available in the settings. So you can find out all the things that your apps are doing and maybe get a little more transparency uh, and and a little bit more control over your uh, privacy in your apps. And you can maybe use that to inform your decisions on how you want to either shut down apps or restrict them or maybe even just remove them from your device. 
Also, uh, Apple added support for their new tier of Apple Music service, the Apple Music Voice Plan. So that's now supported across the the board. And they brought in that digital legacy feature. This is the feature that will allow you to set up a legacy contact in uh, iOS who can access your iCloud account and personal information in the event of your death, something that's very important. We've talked about sort of digital legacy in the past here on the MacCast. Very important topic, and it's really nice to see Apple addressing this. It has come up before uh, where, you know, a family member passes away, and then suddenly they don't have access to all that digital information. And a big part of that, of course, is now that we have iCloud Photo Library, photo libraries and contacts. And, you know, so much of our lives are on our devices now. Um, you need to be able to have a way to pass that along. And this is just a way to make that a lot easier. Uh, the update also adds in all of those communication and safety warning child protection features uh, into messages. So those are there, although not the CSAM stuff. Apple still has not moved forward on that. And then you get the ability to manually control the ultra-wide lens macro feature on the iPhone 13 Pro and iPhone 13 Max. And update to the Apple TV app that now has a store tab that lets you browse by and rent movies and TV shows. This was something that was always very confusing to me because we had the TV app and sort of that's where everything was. But then if you wanted to actually buy TV shows, uh, you still had to go into the iTunes apps, I think, on the Apple TV and then... I think, was it still in the music? I don't remember where it was even on um, the iOS apps. But now you have a tab, so it makes it much easier to go in and find that stuff. And then, so along with all that stuff, they added a bunch of bugs and security fixes, of course, to all of those versions of the OSs. And then on the macOS Monterey side, uh, 12.1, big thing there is it brings share play to the mac so that's the feature that will allow you to watch tv listen to music play games with friends and family members over facetime also gives you the ability to screen share um, from your mac or your ios device uh, something we've wanted for a very long time and again that all works through uh, facetime but uh, we had share play on ios and it hadn't made its way to mac os monterey yet so it is there Unfortunately, as we talked about in the last episode of the MacCast, it looks like universal control, universal control, that's the feature that will let you use a single mouse and keyboard across your Macs and iPads seamlessly. That has been delayed. We didn't know how long it had been delayed, but uh, Apple updated their website this week, and they say now the feature will arrive sometime in spring of 2022. So it was supposed to be by the end of this year. Apple didn't make the cut. Uh, it's been rumored they're having some trouble with that feature. So it's probably better that they hold off and really get that perfected um, and make sure that it works seamlessly the way they show it off, showed it off. Uh, I think delivering anything less would be a little bit of disappointment to us Mac and uh, Apple fans. So taking extra, extra time, nothing wrong with that. It just looks a little bit bad when you kind of pre, pre-announce or pre-show off a feature and then you you don't make your deadline. But that's okay. You know, things happen. And then Apple did release a new app for Android devices to help with AirTags. A new app called Tracker Detect will allow Android users to scan for nearby active trackers on Apple's Find My network. So that means if there's an AirTag nearby, uh, you can launch the app. And if the tag has been following you for over 10 minutes, you can receive an option to actually play a sound on that AirTag so you can locate it and potentially disable it. So on uh, iOS devices, 
you actually get notifications automatically if a tracker has been following you, one that doesn't belong to you. Um, they don't have that on Android. So this is kind of Apple's solution for Android devices. So it's not automatic. It's not maybe as seamless as the iOS stuff, but a nice little update and um, something that has been needed uh, since AirTags were released. And then looking toward the future, the next version of macOS Monterey, the first beta of macOS 12.2 did drop this past week. And one interesting surprise in there is an update to the music app. It is going to be full native. To date, the music app on macOS, despite replacing iTunes in macOS Catalina in 2019, it still maintained the use of the iTunes backend, which was largely web-based, basically loaded web stuff inside the app. Uh, With this new version in macOS 12.2, a couple of sites noticed that it had been updated to use AppKit and is mostly using a macOS native interface framework. 9to5Mac also confirmed that Apple is using Jet, which is a technology they use, I think, from Oracle. I tried to research this. I couldn't find any references of Jet being an Apple Apple technology, but I did find references to it from Oracle as, as a way to create basically native applications using web code basically turning your web content into native apps. So I think that's probably what they're using. And uh, so a little bit more native, although I guess not quite the same as writing native code. It's very interesting, but uh, reviewers, uh, early people getting a look at the 12.2 update are saying it's more performant. Things are feeling snappier. It's making it feel more like a native app and less than less like the kind of web app, buggy web app that it sometimes feels like today. So that happened. It also seems like the Apple TV app was updated with similar technologies. I think in the last update, in the update to macOS Monterey 12.0, 12.1, maybe even earlier. Um, but it had its backend rebuilt to a native backend as well. And that was also noted in a couple of these reports. So various uh, iOS and macOS updates happening this week. If you haven't run your software updates, now is the time to do it if you want to pick up all the latest features and updates. Looking into early 2022, I know one of the things we've been discussing is the potential for an updated version of the 27-inch iMac. It's looking like that is going to be happening sometime this spring. Few analysts have been talking about it. This week, we have speculation from display analyst Ross Young. He has a little bit more information on what the display might look like in a new 27-inch iMac, although he calls it an iMac Pro, uh, saying that it will be a 27-inch display made by LG with mini LEDs, a 120 hertz refresh rate, and an oxide backplane. Uh, So basically, really a pro-level display. He doesn't comment too much on the other specs, but considering he used that pro moniker and based on some of the other rumors we've been hearing about, it's very likely that the updated iMac would use the new M1 Pro and M1 Max chips that Apple launched with their new MacBook Pros. So you can expect performance to be very similar, maybe even better if they can add in a little bit more cooling. So they may be able to even tweak the performance on those chips a little bit higher now that they have kind of a larger playground to play in with a 27-inch iMac. And so it'll be interesting to see what happens there. 
Young goes on to comment that Apple might move to OLED displays in Macs in the future, but doesn't really think that that will happen until at least 2023 at the earliest. There's a lot of debate on whether they're going to stick with the mini LED and bypass OLED altogether because we also know that they are working on micro LED displays and that could be something they just leapfrog into. It's all going to depend on a number of factors, including supply chain and costs and all those sorts of things. But we'll have to wait and see what happens there. And if you want to believe Twitter leaker Dylan DKT, and we kind of do because he's been pretty accurate about a lot of things, he says the display on the 27-inch iMac and the 24-inch for that matter may just be the inspiration for some new lower cost versions of Apple displays uh, to kind of fill out the lineup below the Apple Pro Display XDR. He claimed that LG has three different displays in cases that are unbranded, basically unbranded enclosures that they're playing around with, two of which seem to have the same specifications as the rumored upcoming 27-inch iMac that we just talked about and the current 24-inch iMac displays. And so it's People are basically predicting that Apple is going to release these as standalone displays for the Mac. He also said that there was a third display, a 32-inch model, that appears to have upgraded specs from the Pro Display XDR. So we could see a range of Apple displays going from 24-inch up to 32 inches at a range of price points, which would be interesting. No one's really talking about the price points yet. It is expected that the specs would be, again, a little bit lower on the 24-inch model, so more of an entry-level display. But as we know, entry-level for Apple is probably premium for for most other displays. I would expect somewhere in the $1,500 and up range, um, $1,500, maybe $3,000 and $6,000, somewhere Four, are we at 4,000, 5,000 on the Pro Display XDR starting? So somewhere in that sort of range would be my prediction, but that's purely speculation on my part. Additionally, in the tweet, he mentions that the 32-inch model may have some custom Apple silicon. It didn't appear to him as if the 24-inch or 27-inch had that or they didn't note it, although it could still be possible. Previously, 9to5Mac had reported on the possibility of an update to the Pro Display XDR that would feature an Apple processor, probably something like the Apple A13, maybe even higher at this point. So uh, what that processor would actually be doing and why it needs to be in there, they mention it possibly taking advantage of the neural engine, so maybe some image display optimizations, those sorts of things going on through that chip. Um, But that could be a very interesting addition to a monitor. It also seems that at least the 27-inch and 32-inch displays would have mini-LED backlighting and offer the 120 hertz variable refresh rate, basically being ProMotion displays. So a lot of things going on with display technology right now, a lot of rumors happening. It would be great to see these monitors uh, come out in 2022, although we haven't really heard a timeline. At this point, it just feels like it's something that Apple is researching, looking into, and potentially developing. So we'll keep an eye on this one, and hopefully for... A lot of you fans of Apple displays out there, we're going to get Apple displays back. And that would be really nice. And if they have the same kinds of designs that Apple is doing with the 24-inch iMac and the Pro Display XDR, they are going to look gorgeous as well. So that's kind of really exciting, something uh, that I would look forward to seeing in 2022. Hey, before we move on, I do want to take a quick moment here and thank one of my show's sponsors, and that is LinkedIn Jobs. You know, these days it can be hard to find and hire 
the right candidates for your small business. And that's why LinkedIn Jobs made it easier to find the people you want to talk to faster and for free. A lot of us know and use LinkedIn, and I think it's the place for professional networking. It's definitely where I go when I want to connect with my peers, when I want to find job opportunities, all those sorts of things. And I think it's also why it's the place where companies go to find great job candidates. As a matter of fact, I have LinkedIn to thank for my current job. Uh, My company hired me through there. I had done networking through there and we were able to connect. And I'm so glad it happened because I love where I work. And my company continues to take full advantage of LinkedIn jobs and their recruiting. As a matter of fact, they've hired many amazing employees through LinkedIn. You can create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 770 million people. Focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience and use screening questions to get your role in front of only the most qualified candidates. Then you can use the simple tools on LinkedIn Jobs to quickly filter and prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus the leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Did you know that every week, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash maccast. That's linkedin.com slash maccast to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. And a big thank you to LinkedIn Jobs for their support of the MacCast. Apple TV Plus is getting its first Russian and language show. The show is called Container, and according to Variety, Apple will co-produce the series with the subscription-based streaming service Start. Apple continues to grow its slate of foreign shows with Container following behind shows like Israel's Tehran and the Korean language series Dr. Brain. Container is the first series to come from the first look deal that Apple signed with LA-based AR Content back in July. Container has already premiered on Start back in September and will launch on Apple TV Plus this spring of 2022. Apple reportedly has also won a quote-unquote heated competition for the new ser- for a new series starring Colin Farrell. This is according to Deadline. Apple was in competition with Netflix for the show, which is called Sugar and is created by Mark Protosevich, who is known for Thor and I Am Legend. The basic elevator pitch for the show is it takes place in L.A. and is a contemporary take on a private detective story. That's about all we know about the plot for the series. Farrell and Protosevich are also signed on to executive produce. Apple has also released a new kids series or is going to release a new kids series called El Defo on January 7th. The show is based on the Newbery award-winning graphic novel of the same name, and the novel is a memoir of its author, Cece Bell. It follows a perceptive young Cece as she loses her hearing and finds her inner superhero. Bell will be the be a narrator on the series, which is being written and executive produced by William McRobb, who is known for The Adventures of Pete and Pete. Gilly Fogg, who worked on Bob the Builder, is set to direct. 
A couple of Apple TV Plus original films also picked up some new award nominations this week in the Critics' Choice Film Awards. The film Coda received four nominations for Best Picture, Best Young Actor-Actress, Best Supporting Actor, and Best Adapted Screenplay. And The Tragedy of Macbeth received two nominations, one for Best Actor and one for Best Cinematography. And then finally, in Apple TV Plus news, Apple announced a new documentary about the music of James Bond called The Sound of 007. The film will take a look at the music of the films, starting with its iconic theme song and the music from Dr. No, and move all the way through to the soundtrack from No Time to Die. The release claims that it will combine heartfelt interviews with incredible James Bond archival material, and it will come to Apple TV Plus in October of 2022, which is set to coincide with the 60th anniversary of the James Bond film series. And then finally, in the news for this week, Mac Rumors is reporting on a research note from an analyst, Jeff Poo of Hai Tong International Securities, that hints at a mega camera upgrade coming to the iPhone 14. And there's a slight pun intended there. He claims that the triple lens camera system on the on at least two of the models, and care to guess which ones? Yeah, we're probably talking about the Pro ones. We'll have a 48 megapixel wide lens and a 12 megapixel ultra wide and telephoto lens. So some serious upgrades, especially on that wide lens. This actually mirrors some previous rumors we had heard from Ming-Chi Kuo back last April. He had said that Apple would have a 48 megapixel wide lens with support for 8K video recording. So stepping up the video as well. In addition, Pooh expects Apple to increase the RAM on the iPhone 14 Pro from 6 gigabytes to 8 gigabytes, though oddly, he also claims that the base storage will start at 64 gigabytes, which is weird because the iPhone 13 currently starts at 128, so doesn't really justify why Apple would slide that backwards. So I'm going to take this one with a little grain of salt. Uh, I think this analyst has had a okay track record with Apple rumors, but that one gives me pause. <laughs> Meanwhile, it could be the updated iPhone 5G SE2 that has the biggest impact or a bigger impact on Apple's iPhone growth in 2022. An analyst from JP Morgan thinks that the updated SE, which we're expecting sometime this spring, we already kind of talked about it on previous episodes of the MacCast, has the potential to attract, quote, nearly 1.4 billion low to mid-end Android phone users and maybe 300 million older iPhone users to the new model. They think that with the trade-in of older iPhones or Android devices, average starting price on the iPhone SE could be between $269 to $399 US, so pretty good deal and something that they feel would be enticing to upgraders on both sides. As a matter of fact, they think that Apple could increase their iPhone SE sales in 2022 up to 30 million units, with Apple selling a total of 250 million iPhones by the end of 2022, and that would be 10 million more iPhones than they sold in 2021. So nice little increase in iPhone sales, and a big part of it due to kind of those lower end models. And I, I totally agree with this. I think the iPhone SE 2, even though it's not going to have 
a lot of major upgrades. We're expecting the same screen size, the same form factor, still having Touch ID. But with 5G and that upgraded processor, I would hope that Apple would go with the A15 in that model, but they could do A14. Either one of those would be a really good upgrade. I think it's going to be very enticing to entry-level iPhone owners and, again, people who might be looking to switch from Android. I think that's the even bigger market for a device like that. And we are hearing, I think we talked about this last time, that they'll probably bump the screen size in 2023 as well and go with a little bit larger. They probably could do a little bit more if they made the screen larger this year. It seems to be something that uh, folks want. But again, I think it's going to be a great deal and a great phone. And I look forward to seeing what Apple has to announce because we should hear about it sometime this spring. But with that... That is going to do it for the news for this week. Before we move on, I do want to take a minute and thank another couple show sponsors, starting with our sponsor, BetterHelp. You know, life for me can get pretty stressful at times, and I think it can for a lot of us. You know, sometimes you just never know what kinds of things might pop up, what kinds of things life might throw at you. You know, stress, anxiety, relationships, family conflicts, all the other issues and stuff that we have to manage. And with BetterHelp, you don't have to manage it alone. When you contact BetterHelp, they will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. It's done safely and privately online. It's so convenient, and you can start communicating in under 48 hours. You're able to get professional counseling with timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video and phone sessions. BetterHelp is available for clients worldwide, and you won't have to limit yourself to just the counselor's in your local area. And BetterHelp is committed to making sure that you get great therapeutic matches so they also make it very easy and free to change counselors if you need to. You can use BetterHelp to get professional counseling that's convenient and affordable. I want you to start living happier today and as a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash matcast. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MacCast. And a big thank you to our sponsor, BetterHelp, for their support of the show. I'd also like to take a minute and thank our show sponsor, Coinbase. Hey, do you identify yourself as crypto curious? If you've ever thought about entering the world of cryptocurrency but felt a little overwhelmed, Coinbase makes learning to buy and sell simple. Coinbase offers a trusted and easy-to-use platform to buy, sell, and spend cryptocurrency. They support the most popular digital currencies on the market and make them accessible to everyone. They offer portfolio management and protection, learning resources, and a mobile app so you can trade securely and monitor your crypto all in one place. Millions of people in over 100 countries trust Coinbase with their digital assets. Whether you're looking to diversify, just get started, or searching for a better way to access crypto markets, start today with Coinbase. For a limited time, new users can get $10 in free Bitcoin when you sign up today at coinbase.com slash matcast. Sign up at coinbase.com slash matcast for $10 in free Bitcoin And this offer is only available for a limited time, so be sure to sign up today. That's coinbase.com slash matcast. And a big thank you to Coinbase for their support of the show. 
As you might know, we've been having a pretty good conversation over the last couple episodes of the MacCast about backup and the importance of backup and different ways to do backup, those sorts of things. If you haven't uh, been part of that conversation, go back and take a listen. But this week I had a great email come in from Jose that I think takes our backup conversation to the next logical step. And specifically, I had made a comment that I don't like to consider iCloud backup uh, or my files that are in iCloud as offsite backup. I kind of feel like they're more of an extension of the files that I have on my Mac in a lot of ways. And Jose pointed out uh, something about that that is really, I think, important to consider and to think about. And that is, and I, I may have mentioned this, but you know, iCloud basically functions as a sync of your documents into the cloud and onto your other devices. Jose actually called it a mirror, which I think is another accurate description. And the important thing to note about that is that means that any change you make on one device or in one area, be that on your Mac or on your iOS device or in iCloud itself on the web through the web interface, those changes are reflected back to your other devices. So that includes deleting a file. And I think sometimes people don't realize they think, oh, I've got a copy of that file in iCloud. I can just remove it from my local device. And and it gets even more confusing because Apple has the concept of optimized storage that we've talked about and we'll get into here in a little bit that I think muddies that even further. And for all these reasons, it's kind of why I don't like to think of iCloud as a true like backup or archive of my uh, my files. And you know, more specifically, like I said, iCloud tends to be this sync. So depending upon your settings and, you know, what you're doing with it, it can have some very serious ramifications if you're not thinking thinking about it. And, you know, the biggest one being deleting a file and having it delete across all your devices. But, you know, that optimized storage thing is a whole nother thing. That's a setting that you can enable for iCloud in a number of places. You can do it for iCloud photos. You can do it for uh, documents and desktops. And, it's not a setting that should be taken lightly because basically when you set this, what it means is that your device, your operating system, when you need more storage, i.e. your internal storage is getting full, can decide that older files or files that you haven't edited or done anything with in a while that are still in iCloud can be deleted locally. They can basically be removed locally and you don't really have a lot of visibility other than the little icon in the finder as to when that happens. And the issue here is that when it does that, now if your only backup is iCloud, quote unquote backup, that means you only have one copy of that file. And that, as we know and have discussed, that's not a backup. Your only copy is now the one that sits in iCloud. And of course, you can download it and get it back, but you're really trusting Apple with all of your data. The other problem with that is that if you have other forms of backup that rely on your files being stored locally, that file isn't local anymore, so it's not going to get backed up by your other backup mechanisms. So if you're doing a clone backup, if you're doing another backup to the cloud, that file is not there to be back up. And as a matter of fact, might even also be deleted or removed from those other backup locations. So it's all something to think about. Now, it's also, I think, worth pointing out that this really isn't just an iCloud storage problem. There's a lot of storage and backup options that kind of work this way by default, including other backup storage. Even Time Machine is basically like this, right? So we turn on Time Machine 
And it's a little bit different because we have that history. We can go back for a certain period of time. So if we delete a file locally and it's in our time machine backup, we know we can go into time machine and potentially restore that at least until time machine runs out of space, right? And then when time machine gets full, what it starts to do is delete your oldest backups, right? And keep the newer ones. So even there, you're not guaranteed to keep that file. And cloned backups for sure, they're exactly that, right? They're a clone, an exact copy of what's on your hard drive at any given moment. So if you're cloning, you know, and so if I have a clone backup, like I do with Super Duper, for example, if I went in after I recorded this podcast and I uploaded it and then I deleted the podcast files, the original GarageBand file that I record onto, that will get deleted in my next clone backup and it wouldn't be part of that backup, right? So these are all things to think about that, you know, backups are great, but when you're talking about deleting or removing files in any way, they're no longer there to be backed up. Or if you're using a syncing solution like a Dropbox or a Box or a iCloud storage, uh, any change you make in one device, like deleting a file, is going to be reflected in all the other locations. Um, so what is the solution to that, right? How do we solve for that problem? And so the other form of backup that we haven't really talked about, because I, again, don't really necessarily consider it backup. These are things you would want to backup, but I talk about archiving, Right. What about all the files that we just want to move the storage location? We maybe don't want to have it on our internal drive because it's taking up space, but we still want to retain a copy of that for a period of time, maybe an indefinite period of time if it's something super valuable, like, say, our photos. Or for me, a great example of this is the entire archive of every MacCast I've done for the past 16 years. I have an archive of literally all of the original recordings and GarageBand files going all the way back uh, to that first episode in December of 2004. And I have some of them probably not on the best media. They're on they're on DVDs, burned DVDs, and there's a thing called bit rot that we'll talk about as well that you need to be aware of. And format shifting, like uh, I'm running out of places where I can actually read a DVD, so that's a problem. But I do have an archive of that. I have a permanent storage location. The problem with those is I don't have backups. Now, newer copies, I do do an archive in a way where I do have backups. So I have Drobos and I have a ChronoSync job that is designed to sync the folder where I keep all of my MacCast files locally. But the key to that is it has a setting on it that says, even if I delete a file in, this, in, the, in the source location the location that you're copying and backing up the files from, do not delete it on the backup. So the Drobo always has a copy of that. And then I have another ChronoSync job that actually um, copies all of those files, creates a clone of those, basically a copy of all that those files over to another Drobo that sits on my network hooked up to an old Mac Mini. So I have two local copies. And then the Drobo that I have locally is also backed up to my Backblaze account. One of the reasons I'm a big fan of Backblaze is it'll let you back up locally attached storage. And I have a directly attached Drobo on the system. So I have my archive, which is just the backup of the files or just an archive of the files. But then those archives are backed up additionally. So there's backup on top of my archives. And I know it all sounds a little bit complicated, but it is really an important discussion to have, an important thing to think about, right? We need to 
think about backups, but we also need to think about archives. And when we have archives, how are we backing up and ensuring that we will always have access to our archives? Because usually the stuff that you're archiving is really the stuff that you want to keep, right? You want to save. It's like your filing cabinet, your shoebox with your images in it, all the ways we used to do that. Um, but you're going to want to have an offsite backup of those archives. You're probably going to want to have multiple copies of those archives. And if you're like me, you probably want to think about bit rot, which means at some point, those Mac casts that I have on those DVDs, those burned DVDs, and maybe even now might not work. They might not be readable. They might have errors. Um, so format shifting or getting, getting those off, probably moving those onto my Drobo is a project I probably should be thinking about doing um, to avoid bit rot. You know, how many of us have maybe floppies that have old college papers or things that we might want to still access on them? And who knows if they're accessible? Who knows if we even can find a program that will read the file formats they were written in? We've talked about some of these things in the past. So these are all things to think about when you're thinking about backup. Not to overwhelm you, but, you know, maybe go back and think about where's my data? Where do I have it? And am, do I have not only a backup solution, but do I, do I have an archive solution that I'm going to be happy with that's going to work with me and that's going to protect my data? So that's the other conversation I wanted to have with you. Uh, now that I've shared it with you, I'm sure many of you are thinking of things, you're thinking of ideas, maybe you have processes or ways that you've managed archives, and I would love to hear about what you're doing. So if you want to send me some feedback, shoot me an email, send me an audio comment, mattcast at gmail.com. But Jose, thank you for bringing up this topic. I thought that was a great addition to this conversation that we've been having. Another conversation we've been having is the case for Apple's AR VR headset, really the use cases we've been talking about. And, you know, this being the next big thing for Apple, right? They're going to do some sort of AR VR headset. We're going to have glasses. It's going to have all this cool interface, very futuristic, very forward thinking. A lot of people are thinking this is going to be the replacement for our iPhones. Uh, the next sort of version of that, like moving to wearables and I find it fascinating, and I also find it very frightening. And that was sort of the the conversation I've been having. And I'm also very confused at what the kind of actual application of this is going to be. How does this fit actually into our daily lives? And I think this is something that Apple really thinks about before they bring out a product. I think if you look at the iPhone and what they were doing with the original version of the iPhone, right, trying to basically replace three devices that we used in our world, our phone, our internet access and our, our browsers making that mobile and our entertainment, our music devices, right? It combined all those things in a way that made it better than, you know, the whole was better than the sum of the parts, the, the different pieces. And it revolutionized the way we communicate and, and get entertainment, all these things, right? And so perception is that, at least in my mind, that the AR VR headset should do something similar, right? It's going to revolutionize or really change the ways we live, work, play, and interact. Um, but if you look at some of the movies that have been in our culture that sort of focus around on this topic, you start to get a little bit afraid. And that's where I've kind of been with this. So, you know, I kind of threw it out to you. What do you think the kind of killer applications are? Where is this going? What is it doing? And wow, I got a great comment this week from Josh, and I'm just going to play it for you. Hey, Adam, Josh here. 
Great discussion on what's possible with VR and AR in the future. I wanted to give you my thoughts and what I've noticed and what's going on in this space, which as a whole is called XR or extended reality. The virtual space that this operates in is being coined the metaverse. I'm a lecturer at IUPUI in Indianapolis, Indiana, teaching interactive multimedia and themed entertainment, and I've been actively researching this area. I've been paying attention for a while, but I think Facebook, now known as Meta, really opened up a vision of what this could look like. I would highly encourage you and your audience to check out their keynote speech given just recently. They did an excellent job of explaining it, but also visually showing the possibilities of the metaverse. Whether using VR or AR, they showed many possibilities and use cases, including how you might play, work, and socialize with others. You might be able to view live concerts, like Gary described in your prior show, but they also show that after the concert, you might go to a virtual space where you hang out with other attendees or even the artists themselves, while being given the opportunity, of course, to buy virtual swag. Other examples include being in virtual spaces with your friends, being able to show each other different types of media, or being able to bring in calls or video from friends in other places. They showed how virtual workspaces might exist where you sit around a whiteboard or a 3D model in virtual space where you're really just at home with your headset on, probably in your pajamas. What about travel and exploring places you've never been? I was just listening to Ken and John on the Star Trek Mission Log podcast discussing holodecks and whether climbing Mount Everest there is emotionally or physically equivalent to doing it in real life. Those are questions we'll have to answer. Gaming, education, art creation, and fitness are other areas being looked at. There are other, also higher levels of input being researched that include neural interfaces that pick up on small gestures, eye movements, facial expressions, and more. In another field I teach in, themed entertainment, a conference I just went to, immersive entertainment was all the rage. Not only are theme park designers considering ways to use VR and AR on rides and in attractions, there are other people looking at this technology, including developing retail shopping experiences, using them in museums, haunted attractions, family entertainment centers, and more. One of the biggest barriers told to me by people in the field is that it's hard to have an immersive ride experience with a brick attached to your face. But as technology gets better and better, this will become less of an issue. People want to be, in enter people want to be entertained by experiences, and I think XR technology will allow us to try many things in brand new ways. Now when it comes to Apple, I feel they're a little bit behind. I realize their models to follow behind and let others experience the pitfalls first and to come in later with that perfect tech. But the first Oculus was released over five years ago. The HTC Vive has been out even longer. Snapchat has spectacles, Facebook has Ray-Ban glasses. If Apple, as reported, comes out with a two to $3,000 device that perhaps has clunky version zero features, I just feel like they have a lot of catching up to do. I'd be curious to your thoughts on that. They are Apple though, so if anyone can do it, they could get caught up, so I'll have faith. But it's clear that we are living in the future now, and there's a lot of cool things uh, coming ahead. So thanks for bringing up the topic, and we'll talk to you all later soon. Hey, Josh, thank you. Uh, wow. You know, having someone who's been really closely following this in our community be able to talk to us about this, I think, is great, and I really appreciate your feedback here. I think there's a lot of things to respond to there as well. As far as I think I want to start off with with Apple possibly being behind other companies uh, when it comes to this technology. 
Um, I don't, I mean, I don't know that I really feel that. I mean, you mentioned a lot of great things like the Oculus and the HTC and all of those devices, but I mean, really, if we look at the landscape and what people are doing with those things, I don't see much happening and maybe it's just my narrow view, but I, I don't see much happening with them beyond like gaming and games and things like that, which is great. I mean, that's a great use and application of the technology. I think we have seen it in some immersive entertainment kind of things, um, like you're talking about at amusement parks and, and what have you. And that's really, really cool and interesting, but I don't feel like that's mass market. And I think when we start to think about Apple, really what they're looking for is what is the application of this technology where it takes it to that that next level where it's not just a toy or a game or a gimmick but it's really contributing in significant ways to people's lives and the ways we interact and the the ways we communicate with each other and the ways we do our work and we play and and all those sorts of things and that's why I think I it brings me back and I get really confused about where this space is going and how we get to the point where it's that ubiquitous. Like we think about our, our phones today, our iPhones and our iPads and our computing devices, and they're really just part of our lives. They're not this extra thing, this extra experience that we go to. They're just integrated tightly with, with what we do each and every day. And that's where I think Apple needs this kind of tech and this kind of products to be and I think they've got years to get there. Like, I think that's still really years and years away. It's not It's not going to happen overnight. And, you know, the whole Facebook meta thing, I think, is scary. I mean, do we want Facebook to be the company that brings this to us? I think a lot of people are probably screaming and shouting at their their devices right now saying, no, like, not Facebook. Like, that. that's super scary. And I guess that that's the part where I get to going, like, wow, what you know, how is this going to happen? And how is this going to be something that doesn't consume or subsume our society. I've joked in the past that, you know, if you want to see the future of Apple tech, you can look at Pixar films. I think I commented on this, you know, years ago, but there's a scene in The Incredibles where, uh, you know, the hero slides a tablet, basically an iPad out of a manila envelope. And I think that was a year or two before Steve Jobs did his trick with the MacBook Air, did the same thing, right? He slid it out of a manila envelope, and then we had the iPad. Um, and I've always worried about a scene out of Wally, where, you know, you're sitting in these chairs, and you're looking at screens, and you're interacting with the person right next to you, right? You're communicating virtually, but you're that's all you're doing. You only do it virtually. You're not, you know, interacting face-to-face. And... I'm imagining this world where we're all walking around with a virtual world constantly in front of us, be it augmented reality, extended reality, virtual reality, whatever it might be. And that feels a little bit frightening. Maybe that's a little bit what I'm responding to. You know, the pandemic has already made it seem like we're moving down that path where everything is virtual, this virtual path. And I have to stop and think and go, how much further is it until we're really in the matrix or you know, the oasis from Ready Player One, where people just want to go into that world and avoid the world that we're in. And some people, obviously, Elon Musk always already believes we're possibly that there's a real possibility that we're already in a simulation. So now we're getting into this inception sort of thing where it's a simulation and inside a simulation. 
I don't really know. Maybe it can be amazing. Maybe maybe my fears are unfounded and this is going to be a new way to connect and communicate and experience other parts of the world. And I love this vision that you're painting and that's more the vision that I want it, want it to be. Um, but I guess I'm just cautious about it. Now, you weren't the only person to, to chime in on this and I really like a lot of your thoughts and ideas on this. A couple other people bought up, brought up the idea of entertainment that seems to be something that people are very interested in as maybe one of the first killer new features of this thing. Movies in VR and AR, you know, uh, maybe mapping a movie theater screen onto a wall in your house so you just don't have a television set. You really create a virtual theater in your living room. You could virtually dim the environment within the headset, uh, allowing you to still look around and interact with things in the rest of the room reach down and, you know, eat your popcorn and you could have a movie experience, a giant theater experience in a small space, which is interesting to think about. Um, the idea of movie experiences also made specifically for VR, where it's more immersive storytelling, where you feel like you're more part of the story and actually experiencing it versus just watching it through a lens or looking at a screen. Um, the closest, closest example I can think of to that would be like seeing a film like 1917, where it was filmed like 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 a single camera, single shot for the entire two hours of the film where you're following these people through the war, that would be a really interesting virtual reality experience. If you take that even one step further to the next level, that could really change entertainment. So that's kind of exciting, right? But again, it's just that's just one aspect of it. And I think Apple is thinking broader and, and bigger beyond that. Like, how does the how do these technologies... I really hope what they're looking at is how do these technologies enter our lives and enhance our experiences without taking away from the human connection and the physical connections and, and things we have in the real world. And that's why I think Tim Cook has often said he's more excited about augmented reality, because I think when you think about virtual reality, that's really kind of going inward and escaping. And those experiences are, are great for certain things. I think gaming and this entertainment stuff would be great for that sort of experience. Uh, but hopefully that's just part of it. And I hope that's mainly just a small part of it. And that the bigger part of it is something with AR that really enhances and changes our lives in a really positive way. And so I guess that's my hope for it. Um, again, I appreciate everyone who's sharing their thoughts and opinions on this. I would love to hear more of it. So if you want to jump in on this conversation, Shoot me an email, send me an audio comment, mattcast at gmail.com. I had also asked you recently for some things of the moment. So the thing of the moment we do on the MacCast, it's just when I find something cool, something I'm interested in, something I'm kind of enjoying at any given moment, I try to share that with you. And I thought it would be great here at the end of the year if I got some of those from you. And this week I got a really cool app from Joe. And this is what I love about doing this is like, this is not something I would have ever probably sought out, but I'm definitely downloading this app and I'm going to try it out. So uh, he has an app for identifying birds from Cornell Labs. Actually, Cornell University develops this. It's called Merlin Bird ID. I'll have a link to it in the show notes at metcast.com. And I think it's really targeted at birders. But, you know, I've been out and about, I think we all have, and you see some unusual bird or hear some bird call and you're like, I wonder what that bird is. This app will help you identify that. And you could do it in a bunch of different ways. You can take a photo or upload a photo of a bird from your iPhone, along with the date and location where you were when you saw that bird. 
and the app will automatically try to identify that bird for you and provide the information. They also added recently, apparently, a feature for identifying the bird by the song. So even if you can't see it, you could record the audio of it singing or chirping or whatever it might be, and it'll also use location and all the other data to help you try to identify what bird that might be. So that's pretty cool. And then, of course, you can do it by just answering some questions about where you're at and description of the bird so that it has kind of an interactive quiz that you can take. And based on your location, uh, it'll help you browse for the birds that might be in your area. So there's a number of ways you can interact with the app. And then on top of that, the app includes a digital field guide with more than 80,000 photos of birds, sounds, maps, tips for helping you accurately identify birds. So it's really kind of a birder's app, but it looks really, really cool. And best of all, it's free. You can download it and start IDing birds right away. doesn't cost you anything. So that is a really cool pick. And again, not something I would have probably discovered on my own. So thank you, Joe, for passing that along. And if you have a cool app, thing of the moment, it can be an app, it can be a piece of hardware, it can be just a cool tip or trick, uh, send those along. And I'd love to share those with our community as well. But then I promised you at the top, and this is going to kind of round out the show for this week, a little bit of a bonus pick. And this one is just really fun and funny. And uh, it comes from our friends at Icon Factory, uh, Craig Hockenberry. Yeah, uh, if you have a MacBook Pro, one of the new 14-inch or 16-inch MacBook Pros with the notch, this is an app for you, and it's called Notch Meister. And... It allows you to add effects to your mouse cursor for when it goes behind the notch. Because, we, you know, you know, we talked about the fact that if you take your cursor and you move it up near the notch, it will actually go behind the notch. So it kind of gets hidden. And uh, so what this does is this helps you find it or identify it in some creative ways. It has, I think, four or five different effects. It has a glow effect, something called Cylon plasma leak festive which puts a little string of holiday lights right across your right across your notch when your mouse cursor is under it and nano radar so it's really cool it's really fun and guess what even if you don't have a notchbook pro you are covered because the app will actually give you a genuine replacement notch so you can have a simulated notch and you can see the effects for yourself as well. I downloaded it from the um, from the Mac App Store, and I just have my 16-inch MacBook Pro with uh, the replacement notch, with the virtual notch, and it was still a lot of fun. It's funny, not super useful, um, but definitely fun, and you might want to enjoy it with your friends and family for the holidays. So I'll have a link to that in the show notes at MacS.com too. Notch Meister from Icon Factory, and that's my thing of the moment for this week. But with that. That is going to do it for this episode of the MacCast. Thanks for hanging out with me. Before I leave you, I do want to thank my show sponsor, Smile, makers of Text Expander. You can get information and details on Text Expander by going to textexpander.com slash podcast. Bandwidth for the MacCast is provided by Cashfly. You can find them at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. And all advertising on the MacCast is handled by Backbeat Media. They are at backbeatmedia.com. As always, I love hearing from you. If you have a comment, a question, something you'd like to hear covered on a future episode of the MacCast, you can send your emails and audio comments to maccast at gmail.com. 
You can also call in on the listener hotline. That phone number is 281-622-4269, 281-MAC-IM-9. And if you need show notes, links to anything that I talked about on this or any other episode of the MacCast, you can find those on the website. That's at maccast.com. And finally, if you want to follow me on social media, you can find me on Twitter, twitter.com slash MacCast. You can check out the MacCast Facebook page over at facebook.com slash the MacCast or find me on Instagram, just MacCast on Instagram. But that will do it for now. Until next time, I will talk to you all again real soon. Mm-hmm.